Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical education and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Ganga, with Consultant 360, a multidisciplinary medical information network. Dr. Charlotte Roll joins us today to discuss her team's poster presentation at ID Week Conference 2023. Awesome. Thanks, Jessica, for having me. My name is Charlotte Roll. I'm an adult-trained infectious disease physician, and I'm the research director at the Orlando Immunology Center, which is a private practice infectious disease clinic in Orlando, Florida, that serves the needs of about 4,800 people living with HIV. Today, we're actually going to be talking about a study that we did here at the OIC that was presented at the recent ID Week conference, looking at the efficacy and safety outcomes of virologically suppressed people living with HIV on Bictegravir, Emtricitabine, Tenofovir, Alafenamide, also called BFTAF, that were switched to Dolutegravir 3TC. Please provide an overview of your session that you presented at ID Week. Currently, right now, in the literature, there are a few studies that have evaluated the switch in virologically suppressed adults from BF-TAF to dolutegravir 3TC. However, a lot of those studies are observational studies, and very few of them are actually large randomized controlled trials. So there was a need in our field to actually do a formal randomized controlled trial evaluating whether that switch was effective, whether it was safe, and whether it was a feasible and reasonable switch for patients living with HIV. And so that was the premise behind this study. We ended up randomizing 222 adults in an open-label fashion who had been stably suppressed on BF-TAF for at least six months to either switch to dolutegravir-lamivudine or continue on BF-TAF. The primary endpoint of the study is virologic failure at week 48. However, at ID week, we did an interim analysis and presented our secondary endpoints of virologic failure and safety outcomes at week 24. Overall, the study population was well-balanced in both study arms, and so our randomization was very effective. I'm very proud of the fact that about 50% of the study participants were people of color, and about 16% were women, because we know that those populations are traditionally very difficult to recruit in HIV clinical trials. Overall, at week 24, we saw non-inferior efficacy in switching to dolutegravir lamivudine versus continuing BF-TAF in stably suppressed adults with very low rates of virologic failure in each study arm, um, two versus four percent, which ended up meeting the non-inferiority margin that was initially set at six percent. And so overall, at week 24, even though we're not at the primary endpoint yet, we're getting an early look at the data. And so far, the data are proving non-inferior efficacy. In our study, we did have seven individuals that met the protocol-defined criteria for confirmed virologic withdrawal. And in this study, that was two consecutive viral load measurements greater than or equal to 50 copies. 
of those seven CBWs, there were two that actually had evidence of resistance to the components of their therapy on the genotype performed at the CBW visit. There was one individual in each study arm, one in the dolutegravir 3TC study arm that had a treatment emergent or what we think is a treatment emergent M184B. And then there was also an individual in the BIC-F-TAP arm that also had um, an M184B in addition to a G140S. What is interesting is that neither of those participants had a baseline genotype available at steady entry, and therefore it is actually a little bit difficult to comment on whether those mutations are truly treatment emergent or not. There was unfortunately also a third participant in the dolutegravir 3TC arm that did not meet the definition for confirmed virologic withdrawal, but rather had a genotype performed at an initial episode of unconfirmed viremia and was also found to have uh, several NRTI mutations that affected the activity of lamivudine, including an M184B and K65R. That participant unfortunately did have to be discontinued from the study and treated as someone who had treatment emergent resistance despite the fact that they were not a formal CBW. Overall, from a safety standpoint, we did observe more drug-related adverse events in the dolutegravir 3TC arm. However, this was an open-label switch study, and this is a finding that's commonly seen in open-label switch studies when participants know that they are being switched to a new medication versus continuing a medication that they've been on for quite some time. And so we did see that. However, the safety profile in terms of the most commonly observed adverse events were consistent with the known safety profile of dolutegravir lamivudine. We saw most common adverse events that were not surprising to us, you know, GI disturbance, dizziness, insomnia. These are adverse events that have been well described with the use of dolutegravir lamivudine in other clinical trials. We also did take an early look at changes in renal and metabolic parameters at week 24 and found no significant differences in changes when we were looking at both study arms. And we looked at parameters of interest such as creatinine, the GFR, lipid panels, weight, BMI, and waist circumference. And so overall, I think what we have here is an actual formal randomized control trial in virologically suppressed patients evaluating a switch to dolutegravir lamivudine versus staying on BIC-F-TAF. Early, we're seeing non-inferior efficacy. We're seeing no significant difference in terms of some important renal and metabolic parameters. We are seeing more adverse events in the investigational arm from a safety standpoint. However, this is to be somewhat expected with an open-label switch study. And so I think overall, our study does reinforce findings that we've seen from prior clinical trials, such as Tango and Salsa, which does suggest that switching to dolutegravir lamivudine is a feasible option compared to continuing some of the modern three-drug integrase inhibitor-based regimens that are available to our patients, and our data uh, are supportive of, of other trials uh, looking at switches in similar populations. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Roll. What learning objectives do you believe the audience took away from your session? Yeah, I think that 
Given that we know that BICF-TAF is the most commonly prescribed antiretroviral in virologically suppressed adults living with HIV, there has always been a question of whether there is a need to switch to a two-drug regimen versus continuing a three-drug regimen. And so I think a learning objective and the primary learning objective of our study is because we actually saw no differences in terms of efficacy and important metabolic parameters. It would appear that not only is the switch feasible, but you know the switch is also not going to cause any harm. And I think that when evaluating whether a third drug is actually needed to maintain suppression in stably suppressed patients, our study provides education that that may not necessarily be the case for the vast majority of patients. What barriers do you believe people may face when switching to dolutegravir lamivudine? You know, that's a great question. And it's sort of interesting in that I think that there are barriers in the opposite direction. So one of the claim to fames of two drug regimens is because of the fact that they actually contain less drug, they tend to be cheaper and better covered by insurance. And what we actually observed in our clinical trial was no significant access barriers. So I'm not sure if a lot of people know, but our study, even though it was funded by Vive Healthcare, the protocol was developed and designed by us investigators here at the OIC with no significant input from Vive on the study design. Vive did not supply the study drug. People actually accessed the drug through their own commercial insurance plan. And so one of the things that we tracked in the study was whether someone was not going to be able to get dolutegravir lamivudine because of an insurance denial or a need for a prior authorization. And of you know the 170 plus switches that we had in this study, we had no one had dolutegravir lamivudine denied from an insurance standpoint. We know that the wholesale price of the drug is cheaper than other three drug regimens. And so again, it's an interesting question because I don't anticipate barriers switching to a two drug regimen. You may actually get some barriers in the opposite direction, switching to a regimen that is more costly. What are the gaps in research on treating virologically suppressed adults living with HIV? Yeah, so I honestly think that the virologically suppressed adult population living with HIV in the United States is relatively well studied at this point in time. I think that there are though some hot topics and key data gaps when you're thinking about the population. And I think the elephant in the room is sort of the metabolic data gaps that we have. Unfortunately, a lot of our modern antiretroviral regimens have we think contributed to some unwanted waking in, a, in, in our patients, especially in certain patient populations. And so we as a field have been trying to answer the question of which drugs are really the culprits? Are there drugs that we need to stay away from? Are there drug switches that we can do to help out with the weight issue? And when our patients are gaining weight, are there sort of 
more long-term cardiometabolic consequences of that weight gain? And if so, which drugs are implicated in those? And I think those are questions that we're starting to answer. Some of the more recent data presented at both IDVeek and IAS, there were some very interesting studies attempting to answer those questions, but it certainly is something that remains to be seen. We don't have any concrete answers about the culprits of weight gain in the stably suppressed patient population. And so I think everyone's just kind of waiting with bated breath and staying tuned. There are some important uh, randomized control trials that will be forthcoming that will really help us elucidate the answer as to whether switching off certain drugs you know, causes weight loss, right? And so that's one big thing. The other is pregnant suppressed patients. We continue to have a paucity of data among our pregnant patients in terms of pharmacokinetics efficacy and safety of antiretrovirals in pregnancy, especially our modern antiretrovirals, the, the drugs that are recommended for most people living with HIV. We have no idea whether they're safe in pregnancy. We just have not accumulated enough data in that group. And so those are really the two big data gaps that that I think of when it comes to the stably suppressed population. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? You know, Jessica, I don't think uh, there's a whole lot to add at this time. I definitely want to thank you uh, for allowing me the opportunity to talk about our study and, and what we found. Again, I will mention that we this was just an early, you know, look at the data week 24. Uh, our primary outcome is definitely at week 48. And so we are hoping to present those results at a future upcoming conference. And I would just tell anyone in the audience who's interested to stay tuned. Well, thank you again, Dr. Roll. We'll be looking for those results when they do come out. You have a good rest of your day. Thank you, Jess.